welcome to the panel on RNZ National. With us, Chris Wikaida and Julia Hartley. More on Wallace Chapman. Chris, kia ora. Kia ora. Now, we've got our first recorded case of the Omicron subvariant BQ11. Apparently, we've already been through two big Omicron waves this year. In March, there was BA.1 and BA.2. July, BA.5. Public health experts are warning we're likely to see another wave rising. Epidemiologist Michael Baker reckons we need to return to an alert level system for risk infections. So exactly where are we at with COVID and how can we try and understand this alphabet soup of Omicron variants and subvariants? With us is Kurt Krauss, Professor of Biochemistry and Infectious Disease uh, at Otago University. Professor Krauss, kia ora. Kia ora. Now, we haven't talked COVID for some time here on the panel, but here we have this first recorded case, and it feels like there are a lot of people down with COVID again, Kurt. Is, is there a mini wave sweeping, sweeping through at the moment? Well, it's it's definitely bubbling. I mean, it's it's never gone away, wow, Wallace. I mean, it, it, we sort of want, we wished it away, but it's right. always been in the background, bubbling away. And this alphabet soup, as you mentioned, of variants uh, has been uh, appearing uh, around the world. We've got two seven five now here. We have BQ one. I think we have a case of XBB. I don't think we have BF seven yet, but BF seven <laughs> is is uh, is going up in the in the U.S. Uh, it, so, and, and there's more, and there's, and that's just the nature of Omicron that we're going to see lots and lots of, of of more cases. If you look around the world, there's it's a, a kind of a, a split decision. Some places are stable, and there's not a big bump up. But France has a bump up, Germany has a bump up, Austria has a pretty big bump up, Taiwan, Singapore, and Hong Kong a little bit mixed. Uh, and our our numbers are slightly up this week. We're about, our our seven day average is about two hundred up this week over last week. Um, so the question is, yeah, are we going to see a big ascendancy, a big jump, or is it just going to be a minor jump? Uh, yeah. I think t- time will tell. Well, our panelists will have views or questions on this, Kurt. But uh, interesting, you say coming back to that point that uh, it hasn't gone away. This actually is was ever present and will that just be the case for some time to come it'll be uh, under the radar if you like or not under the radar for those who get it but um, we will be living alongside it yeah that's what we hope that it's going to become much more like the seasonal coronaviruses that cause kind of a common cold because for example if you look at, at at those coronaviruses they mutate so much that over the last 5 years 80% of their spike protein residues have changed completely um but the the upside of that though is they cause predominantly common cold symptoms so if we end up with wide um genetic variation but no increase in pathogenicity i think we can we can live with that and and Ah. so far the number of hospitalizations haven't really shot up and the number of deaths haven't shot up and our hospitalizations in new zealand even though we have we had a bump up in terms of cases the hospitalization numbers are still trending down so i think that's that's you know a, a good sign Okay, Julia, what thoughts do you have? We were talking off air about this, uh, how um, you found some of the traffic light uh, settings a little bit... um I did. I did. I, I thought it was good when we just had, you know, level one and two and three. That was kind of simple. And then it changed to... 
you know, all these ambers, reds and ambers and all this. I, and I kind of really lost track of it. I just had to look after myself because I'm immunocompromised. So so for me, it, it was really, really staying at home. And look, honestly, I came here the other week when, whenever I was on. That was the first time I had been out. I think I'd been to a cafe a week before that. That's the first time since August of last year that I had actually been out. You stayed very isolated, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did, because I'm lucky enough I can work from home. But, you know, it does get to your head a bit. Um, okay. But I think we need to the mask. I think taking off the masks and all that is just. I think probably we need to put masks back on when we're out in public transport. Let's bring Chris in. Yeah, I wonder whether we're now at a position of doing more advisory type things, and and perhaps whether we do some regionalised, localised, and that's where perhaps the tech system could be used to say we're noticing a an upspike. In, in cases in Wellington, wide it up is going up mm. fast at the moment. Say now would be a good time to consider going back to some of the measures. I, you know, that's very soft language, but I think that's the sort of language we probably need at the moment because of just the mood of the majority of the nation towards mandate. Right, Kurt. Certainly, we need to stay vigilant about what's going on outside of the country and what's being brought in. I've wondered about whether we need to reinstitute some border testing, even if it's a small percentage of cases that come across the border, because right now we don't have the ability to say when we have a new variant and when it's hit. And I think most people don't mind, you know, doing a rat test after they come in and 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 pass that in, pass those swabs in if they're positive. Then we would know if we have the introduction of a new variant. Another thing we need to think about is what about these bivalent vaccines? So Moderna now has a bivalent vaccine that's Omicron and the original Wuhan strain. The initial uh, immunogenicity studies look pretty good. They came out in the New England Journal about a week ago. They don't, in terms of safety, it looks very, very similar. They don't have actual efficacy against the the virus yet, but all the other early um, indicators look look quite positive. Do we want to think about um, a booster that includes Omicron variants? Because all of that alphabet soup that I gave you earlier, all of those are sort of relatives of Omicron. Um, And I I think the idea of um, masking up in situations where you're in a high density with people that you're not normally around makes really good sense, particularly if you're immunocompromised. Yeah, well, you can back to Chris's point, Kurt. You're talking about a mood here, and this is a... really tricky darn say when you've got health and politics and the interface between it. Here we have the text just come through. Masks, no way, gone for good. Well, that's just dumb. Mm. Yeah. I'm just saying that. Kurt? Looking around in in my workplace, for example, I think the great majority of people don't have masks, but people who haven't had COVID or who have concerns about their health, they're continuing to wear masks. And so we exist side by side. You know, nobody cares if you have a mask on or if you don't have a mask. I think uh, allowing people to mask uh, when when needed makes a lot of sense. Uh, Would you be okay, Chris, with uh, having uh, some sort of alert level system uh, back in the country? Yeah, maybe get rid of the word alert for a start. Call it an okay. advisory system again, because you know I'm quite hard on the on the mask things again, because I've got people in my family who are immunocompromised as well, and if um, they're going to go to places, they're at times going to want to wear masks, and at times on airplanes, I think I probably will too. Um, I went to Auckland earlier in the week, and the number of people who were snuffling and coughing, I was like, <laughs> uh, I was like, actually, I'm stuck in this tin can with these people who were clearly sick. 
I don't want to be sick. I don't well, have time to be you sick. You know, it's interesting and you And I don't say want that. to come back to my office sick. Right. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. you say that, Chris, because I feel the same. I And probably now, even having been through all of this, I think even whenever I do travel, I'm going to wear a mask because the amount of times I have traveled and I've picked up a cold or something, I just I really don't care what anyone thinks. I think if it keeps you safe. Good on you. Yeah, someone says, I wear a mask indoors and on public transport, I'm uh, nearly 80. Um, what we've gone through in the past three years, Professor Krauss, is, I mean, it's been a quite extraordinary, but does it bode us lessons for what we need to bear in mind for, for the future, uh, for whatever comes our way, gosh, in the next 10, 15, 20 years? Oh, absolutely. As an infectious disease physician, I can tell you we're always thinking about the last pandemic and the next pandemic. And when we get together, people say, okay, what's it going to be next? I can remember Herbert DuPont standing up at the uh, global meeting saying he thought it was going to be an RNA virus, and he was exactly right. Uh, oh. And yes, it's so it's so there's another pandemic just waiting and having a system in place and having uh, reasonable public health measures that we don't have to recreate makes a lot of sense. Having a team in place makes a lot of sense. At what point are we going to get a better handle on what the long term impacts of the various COVID strains, particularly Omicron, um, on mm. people's long term health? Because I remember I that's, as being a, a primary school child of the 70s, of that's when we had kids who were still getting rheumatic fever quite a lot. And then I remember a a, a, a spate of Māori men who were quite fit and healthy and getting to 50 and dropping dead of heart attacks, and it was heart valve damage from having rheumatic fever when they were mm-hmm. kids. That's a really, really good question, and I think um, people are attuned to this problem, so everybody's looking at it. I I think it's going to take time, though. It's going to take good science, careful studies, and uh, just kind of, just kind of like you know, we know so much north more three years out now than we knew after Uh one year and after two year. I think it's going to take a few years in order for us to get a handle about long COVID and the ramifications of long COVID. But I've got great confidence that we'll get there at the end. We just have to do it uh, properly and get the science right. Very good. Uh, Professor Kurt Krauss there from Otago University. 17 past form, Julia Hartley-Moore and Chris Wekaira on the panel. By the way, big response, very big response regarding Julia, as I've been thinking, who's, who said, you know what? We're an ageist society. We're ageist. Wow. Uh, absolutely agree. I'm 79 and I agree with Julia. Or we'll try and sneak some of that uh, feedback in for you later. But to this first... What do you do with your old phones, computers or tellies? Well, today is the time to be thinking about that. It's International E-Waste Recycling Day. And believe it or not, tomorrow is International Repair Day. There is a day for everything. Good thing too. It's estimated we produce uh, a massive 80,000 tonnes of e-waste a year, about 20 k's per person, and only a tiny 2% gets recycled, which makes us apparently... One of the worst countries in the developed world. With us is Patrick Moynihan. He's the chair of NZ E-Waste Association and managing director of Computer Recycling Limited. Kia ora, Patrick. Oh, kia ora. Thanks for having yeah. me on. As I understand, Patrick, dumping e-waste is illegal in a lot of countries, including much of Australia, but it's not here. Is that right? Yes, correct. So we are the, and I'm pretty sure it's we are the only country in the OECD that doesn't have the regular regulatory or, or legislative 
uh, framework that that sits behind uh, the disposal of electronic waste. So it's uh, there's no laws around how you dispose of it. So you're free to take it to your local transfer station or or dump, really. So that sounds extraordinary, given what we know about the leaching of these metals inside air waste. Uh, everywhere else, illegal, not in New Zealand? Yes, correct. So it's, uh, it's kind of my go-to facts, but it is the most toxic um, of, of all waste streams because of all the contaminants, and it's also the fastest growing in the municipal waste stream segment. So it's, it's not good stuff going in the ground. That's interesting because I've just, you know, it just makes me think that there's places you can go to put your old paint cans, you know, so that they don't go to the the dump. Um, And thinking about e-waste, I just think, yes, I've got about four phones sitting in my drawer, old phones. I haven't actually done anything with them. Don't know what to do with them. Don't know what to do with them. Same here. Yeah. So. And that's that's kind of why um, it was was a brainchild of a number of individuals within the industry. It's quite a small industry, but... There's a guy, Kevin Rusko, another John Evans uh, down in Wellington, another one, Tim Finlay, and they kind of kicked the, uh, this association off. And um, so it was officially formed in July. So it's a collective of recyclers, and we're trying to make some meaningful change and recommendations and influence the government on how we can create a framework behind this, really. Yeah, uh, we'll come to Chris uh, as well. But, I mean, what sort of items are we talking about? Give us some examples of um, what we're dumping. A big spectrum. Anything with a plug, really, is how I describe it. So uh, fridges, washing machines, dishwashers, um, servers, computers, phones, smartwatches, um, a lot of toys and and gaming um, consoles and things all contain printed circuit boards and also lithium-ion batteries in them. So there's a wide array of uh, products that... And to those listening to this, that might go, well, you know, it's rubbish, so what? Why is it important? It's important because it's still highly recyclable. So it's a very complicated, complex mix of material when it comes to plastics and uh, printed circuit boards and batteries. But it, it is also very recyclable. So oh. for some items that are going to the tip, like flat screen televisions, for, for instance, we now have a computer recycling, have a processing line whereby we'll shred and optically separate the components that sit Good in heavens. The, <laughs> yeah. I did not know. No. no I did so, not. Yeah, earlier this year, we, we commissioned the first uh, large-scale primary processing uh, plant um, which shreds it and separates it, and we can achieve a, a diversion and recycling rate of around 90%, 90 to 95%. Well, 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 Chris, we've got a, a sliver of good news to come out of this. That's, that's really good, because sitting in my office at my consultancy at BRG at the moment is a wheelie bin which is for e-waste, which we're having to pay for to, to get oh. rid of because I'm you know, clearing out stuff. Um, you see everything with a plug on it. Even found an old tape backup drive with a serial port connector on it. Fantastic! Yeah, out. It's not a computer recycling bin, <laughs> is it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just got, I asked the office manager to get it. You know, it's more of a museum piece than a recycling piece. <laughs> wow. That one. Yeah. Um, but that it, it's it, and it was actually hard to do. I mean, do you need? Could you do much better with a with a little bit of financial assistance? Because we found it a chore to try and find. Oh. Uh, how to do the right thing without just trying to whisk it off to the landfill. 
Oh, ab- absolutely. So the idea of a product stewardship framework, for instance, it then collects funds from the manufacturers who are importing the goods and it goes into a centralised scheme, which is then redistributed to the recyclers. And also it's used to educate the public on how to dispose of things correctly. So the cost of the consumer is very little. Um, it's often passed on by the manufacturers anyway, but it gives these sorts of industry niche industry waste sectors a massive boost. So there is a lot that uh, regulation would do to, to help the cause and help increase our diversion rates. So Graham says when living in Perth, you could dispose of your old phones at the post office. I, I, I'm just thinking, Patrick, does, do we need to have more of a com- do you need to have more of a conversation with the government now about uh, how to regu- regulate and legislate for e-waste dumping? I mean, many people are surprised by the fact, and I say it again, that it's illegal in so many countries, including much of Aussie, but not here. Oh, and, and it's kind of why this association was formed, oh. is so we can get a better collective group, because we're not large businesses. Um, like Computer Recycling, we have about 35 staff. Um, we're not, we're not um, waste management or something like that with multi-thousands or thousands of, of individuals pushing the, the, that sort of cause. But um, So this, this collective, the intention is that we can help influence um, what happens and how it's disposed of. So it's an active kind of ongoing thing that we're working on, that's for sure. Very good. Patrick Moynihan, their chair of the uh, New Zealand E-Waste Association and managing director of Computer Recycling uh, Limited. We have Julia Hartley-Moore from Julia Hartley-Moore Limited Private Investigation Firm and Chris Rukaira, media and communications expert, former journalist uh, this afternoon, Friday afternoon. And it's 25 past four to this. Calls for full stops to be phased out at the end of text messages or emails. I personally never use them in an email. I find that full stops are too blunt, and it seems that people agree with me. A growing number of <laughs> sorry, Wallace. A growing number of millennials and Gen Zers they've taken particular issue with people finishing their text messages with full stops because, well, they see it as an act of muted aggression. Why? Oh, I'm just saying, oh, while it's a correctly punctuated text, the younger generations interpret the message differently, and I couldn't agree with them more. Text me, 2101, do you agree, without full stops? With us is Thomas McGrath from Right Group. Kia ora, Thomas. Uh, kia ora, Wallace. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Great to have you on. It's about the tone of the full stop here, isn't it? Some say it alerts the recipient the sender was texting in an angry tone of voice. Yeah, there, there are lots of different takes on it, and the thing about the text message is it's kind of like the Wild West. There's no real rules when it comes to text messages, even if you think back to when text messages first came about. It was quite cool to skip out letters from words just to save on uh, characters. Yes. Left. And that's not, <laughs> you, you know, that's not very correct. So I think really when it comes to text messages, it's about using them for what they're intended for, which is a short little, you know, updated something to someone. Um, that's in writing, but really the best form of communication, if you can, is to actually call the person and talk to them. Yes, that, no, that's a fair point. But you seem to be laughing at the suggestion, well, I have Julia. To laugh, I don't mean, I? no, no, no. But, but if you look at it. You see an email with a full stop, and you go, "Oh, why do you have to be so brisk?" 
Oh, please. If that's all you've got to think about is a little dot at the end of a sentence and you're worrying about it being brisk, seriously, what else do you do in your life? No I one mean, mentioned the Oxford comma then. Yes, exactly, <laughs> Chris. Um, look, I, here's, but here's the thing for me. You know, you talk about the abbreviation. I get all that, right? But I guess for me, I'm texting people and I have to text in detail. Uh, so I've got a text in full. I've got to text everything as I would say it or write it. Um, but having said that, when I think about all the things that I see that people send of themselves online, <laughs> half naked, and what they say, and they're worried about a dot. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Stay there, Thomas. Let's bring Chris in. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, yeah, they made me laugh. I, and mind you, I grew up in the area when I finally learned how to... Um, to, to write good England was, you know, we, 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 we were taught to have a double space after a full stop. How aggressive is that? Ooh, <laughs> oh, jeepers. no. That is dated. Whoa. That's an old typist's convention. Hang on, Chris. A double space after a full... Yes. That's, that's super aggressive. And I think that's just... nice spacious. Well, well it, it wouldn't have worked when we had character limits, but see, we've gone the, we've gone the opposite direction now with modern um, smartphones. You can you can message away for line after line after line and have good punctuation as well. Who recalls the double space after full stop? What are you hearing here, Thomas? I, I, I guess I'm just saying, because one comedian put it perfectly. Why do they put a full stop at the end of that message, she wondered. Do you think the sender is mad at us? It seems pretty, pretty blunt. Maybe she hates us. Um, I guess my point, Thomas, is that in the modern age, it can come over as a little bit abrupt. Well, there, yep, there's lots of different takes on it. I, I think the, the long and short of it is that language changes. There are all sorts of strange conventions that used to be normal and now they've just been completely thrown out the window. And a, a lot of my professional career has been spent in high schools. And if there's one thing that I've learned from young people is that their key role in society is to test us and to make sure that what we're doing is actually useful. So maybe this is just a question that young people are asking to say, well, where, what is the role of punctuation? What is, it, what is it meant to do? And I think punctuation really is meant to help us try and understand what the person was trying to mean when they wrote those words. So it's trying to get tone through. And I think the interesting thing in this conversation as well is the emergence of the emoji. You know, like how common is it that you get a little smiley face emoji or you want to, you know, squeeze some kind of lovely smiley face or thumbs up or something into your message just to get a sense of personality into it so it's not little characters trying to speak for you. That's and pretty. as a student of English, Chris, or, or a person in communication, uh, you'd be all over us, all over this. The well, fact actually, that language just does on, on that note, on, yeah. on emojis and emoticons, one of the happiest days in my digital life was finding out there was a flip the bird middle finger emoji. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, emojis are fantastic. They're really interesting because it's a, an internationally evolving language that doesn't need translation. So if you think about um, it being efficient with getting across tone or trying to communicate certain things, emojis don't need to be translated culture to culture. They go straight in. And have multiple meanings, a.k.a. the aubergine. They can do. Yeah, oh, that's, that's a bit of a faux pas. So I reckon my take on this with the full stop is that I, I love full stops. I think okay. they're the best, best piece of punctuation and they're the only thing that you really need. But our I main agree. advice with any kind, of, um, any kind of writing is that you should know your retail, know your audience. Oh. And a, a piece of uh, writing is only effective as what it's trying to do. 
So if you're trying to annoy that person and you know that they don't like full stops and you put a full stop in there, well, power to you. But if you know that they're sensitive to it and that's something that that's not going to work for them, then leave it out. There's uh, no one's going to be violated in that yeah. sense. So Actually, no, that's, that's, your that's, a, that's a fair point because I know if I get a, a message from my son, which is up to G, I know that means where are you and what are you doing? Yeah. That's it. That's it. Ah, yes. got you. Thomas, kia ora. It's nice to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you uh, for me. And uh, <clears throat> quite a few people are saying bring back the full stop with two spaces. <laughs> uh, a lot of good memories coming about the... Um, oh, again, I agree with Julia Wallace. Correct is not equal aggressive. And yes, double space after full stop was correct when typing, taught on a physical typewriter. How interesting.